Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Kamani. Before we get into the session, I wanted to share a quick message with y'all. Alhamdulillah, since 2011 until now, we have made a commitment here at Qalam to the podcast. All of our instructors are on the Qalam Podcast, contributing, recording, and delivering different series and sessions to you. So that no matter where you are, what's going on, you are able to continue to learn and grow and increase the understanding of your religion. What we ask you to do, aside from continuing to listen and sharing the podcast with family and friends, is go to supportqalam.com. Supportqalam.com. Go there and be a part of the cause. Get your own stake and share in the reward of all the good that is going on and be a part of the solution. Go there, donate, be a part of the solution, share the link with family and friends, and be, let's all of us work together to bringing the proper understanding of Islam and the education of the religion to all the people all around the world. Jazakumullahu khairan. Thank you very much for listening. Now on to the session. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatamil anbiya. Wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya. Amma ba'd. Today inshallah we will cover the life of Sayyidina Ya'qub alayhi salam. Ibn Kathir writes, The father of Sayyidina Ya'qub was also a prophet of Allah. His name was Ishaq Ishaq was a son of Ibrahim and his mother's name was Sarah. Ishaq was married during the life of Ibrahim Ibn Kathir writes that he was married at the age of 40. His wife wasn't able to bear children, yet they remained patient and they made dua to Allah. His mother was an example, someone who couldn't bear children, and his father was an example, someone who was patient and made dua to Allah. Ultimately, Ishaq wife was blessed with children, and from the children was Yaqub Yaqub actual birth name is Israel. Isra means abd, servant, and il means Allah. So Israel is the uh, rendition of the Arabic word Abdullah, the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His children are called Banu Israel, the children of Israel. Now I'll come back to Banu Israel and some of their historical relevance some today and some more in our next class as we cover the life of Sayyidina Yusuf salam. But some, one thing the scholars have mentioned as a side note is that sometimes what happens is that the names of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala become attached to the people who they were sent with. Then what ends up happening is sometimes the people, those people who these prophets were sent to end up adopting bad habits and become representative of, of oppressive regimes. 
And since those people were known by the names of those prophets, the scholars, they write, it is disrespectful to refer to that sort of a regime or that ill act with the name of that prophet. For example, the people of Lut became known for homosexuality. In the Arabic language, when we refer to homosexuality, one of the common words used is lawata. And that word is derived from the pure name of Sayyidina Lut Therefore, the scholars recommend that when referring to this action, it is a best etiquette that a person avoid using this word. Same thing goes with Israel. It was the name of the chosen servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in today's world, it represents a group of people in a land that has done nothing short of oppress and take the blood of innocent people. So is it really appropriate for a prophet's name to be used to represent a group of people that have oppressed innocent individuals? That's where the scholars, they come in and say it's the adab, that rather than saying dawla israeliyah, for example, someone would say dawla yahudiyah. So you avoid using that prophet's name. However, all in all, it is permissible to use those words because when words run their course in humanity and become representative of certain meanings, then at that point to convey your message, it becomes permitted to use these words. He was commonly known as Ya'qub, and the Qur'an refers to him with both. At places Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes reference to Bani Israel, the children of Ya'qub salam. And in many places in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very openly mentions him by Ya'qub. In ten places specifically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses him by the name Ya'qub. Ya'qub comes from the root letters, Ain, Qaf, Ba, Aqiba or Aqibun, which means to come after. And the reason why he was given this name Ya'qub, to come after, is because when his mother finally was blessed with children, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not bless her with one child, rather Allah blessed her with twins. And Ya'qub salam was a second child to be born from that birth. The first child to be born was his brother, who was just maybe a few minutes older than him. His name is Isu or Al-Is, in Arabic they refer to him as Al-Is, or in the tradition and literature they also refer to him as Isu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes reference to um, Ya'qub salam in the Qur'an explicitly, and also implied within certain personal pronouns that are mentioned as well. For example, in Surah Sa'd, verse number 45, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَذْكُرْ عِبَادَنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ أُولِ الْأَيْدِ وَالْأَبْصَارِ and remember our servants, Ibrahim, Ishaq, and Ya'qub. Ulul Aidi, people of strength, walabsar, and people of vision. In this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions three prophets who Allah refers to as being people of strength and also people of vision. Strength here doesn't necessarily mean physical strength because we don't necessarily have an example in the life of these three men that they somehow expressed physical power and knocked on a wall or toppled over some army. Rather, these people had strength of patience, and they were farsighted. Ibrahim salam shows us in his life what, what it means to be farsighted, to have your eye on the goal, and not to give up in difficult times. Ishaq salam, same thing. His patience is immaculate, it's great. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested him and his wife with not having children, yet he remained patient. He had his eye on the goal, knowing that if he kept his eye on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, Allah would always give him. 
And Ya'qub in his life, we see how much patience he went through. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us how did they develop these two characteristics of being firm and strong and, and having farsightedness. أَخْلَصْنَاهُمْ بِخَالِسَةٍ ذِكْرَ الدَّارِ In verse number 46, Allah says, Indeed, we chose them for an exclusive quality, بِخَالِسَةٍ And that unique quality that we placed in them was ذِكْرَ الدَّارِ They were always in the remembrance of the hereafter. The Mufassirun, they say, these were people who lost all desire for the world. And their eye was on the Akhirah. And because their eye was on the Akhirah, they understood the reward of patience. Therefore, patience was very easy for them. There was no difficulty at all. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says regarding the three in verse number 47, And indeed they are to us amongst the chosen and outstanding ones. Yaqub alayhi father's name, as I mentioned, was Ishaq. His mother's name, historians have said, it was either Rafqa or Rabqa. Both names are given of her. And the English rendition of that is Rebecca. Ishaq salam's wife's name, and that was Yaqub salam's mother. Yaqub salam was born in Al-Ard Al-Muqaddasa, Palestine, Jerusalem. He later on moved to Haran to live with his uncle, whose name is Laban. Haran is in Sham. Where is Haran? In modern day, Sham. And he lived with his uncle there. There is an interesting narration quoted, many historians mention this, that on the way to Haran, when Yaqub was going, he was a young man as he was traveling. On his journey, he was exhausted and tired. So he found a rock, rested against it, and went to sleep. He put his head against there and went to sleep. He saw a dream. In his dream, he saw the heavens and he saw a ladder that connected the heavens and the earth and there were, and there were angels going up and down. Then he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him that, Oh Ya'qub, we have blessed your family and you will be used for the khidmah of this deen. Ya'qub alayhi salam wakes up and this is a blessed dream. He's very excited and happy. Young man, unmarried, being told that Allah is going to bless him with pious progeny and use him for the khidmah of the deen. Who wouldn't be happy? Yaqub salam, in order to mark that place and mark this joyous Mubarak land, he took some oil and put it on that rock, making niyyah to Allah, that if Allah gave him tawfiq, he would come back and build a masjid here. And later on in his life, he does pass by there and he does build a house for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this raises a question. Is it possible to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your dream? Can a person see Allah in their dream? The scholars have differed in opinion on this issue. Majority of the scholars seem to hold the position that it is possible for a human being to see Allah in their dream. Seeing Allah in this world is not possible. Allah mentions that in the Quran where he told Musa salam, Lan tarani, that you will never see me in this world. However, outside of this world in the akhirah or outside of the realm of this dunya, is it possible to see Allah? Like did the Prophet wasallam see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the night of ascension? The scholars differ in opinion. The Sahaba differ in opinion. Aisha radiallahu anha on one hand held the position that it was not possible. The Prophet wasallam did not see Allah on the night of Mi'raj. On the other hand, you had Ibn Abbas who was very adamant that the Prophet did see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the night of Mi'raj. 
Is it possible for the human being to see Allah in the Akhirah? The Mu'tazila, who are a deviant group, Ahlul Bid'ah of the past, they held the position that it is not possible for the human eye to see Allah in this world or in the hereafter. The Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah held the position that not only is it possible, but it will happen. That the human beings, the believers in particular, will see Allah in the hereafter. Allah Azawajal mentions this in the Quran. That on that day faces will be enlightened and they will be looking towards their lords. They will be looking at their Lord. Now coming back to the issue, is it possible for a person to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their dream? Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Asqalani rahmatullahi alayhi writes in Fathul Bari, quoting from Qadi Iyad al-Maliki, he says, the Qadi Iyad said, لَمْ يَخْتَلِفِ الْعُلَمَاءِ فِي جَوَازِ رُؤْيَةِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى فِي الْمَنَامِ Qadi Iyad al-Maliki says that the scholars have not differed in opinion, that it is possible, the scholars agree that it is possible to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your dream. Similarly, Mullah Ali al-Qari rahmatullahi alayhi writes in Mirqat, إِذَا كَانَ هَذَا فِي الْمَنَامِ فَلَا إِشْكَالَ فِيهِ That if a person sees Allah in their dream, then there is no objection against it. Similarly, Allama Alusi rahmatullahi alayhi, the great commentator of the Qur'an, he writes in his Ruh al-Ma'ani, فَأَنَا وَلِلَّهِ تَعَالَى الْحَمْدُ قَدْ رَأَيْتُ رَبِّي مَنَامٍ ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتِ وَكَانَتْ مَرَّةُ الثَّالِثَ فِي السَّنَةِ Then he writes 1246 بَعْدَ الْحِجْرَةِ He says that, I had the honor, Sahib al-Ruh al-Ma'ani, Allama Alusi rahmatullahi alayhi, he writes, Allama Alusi Baghdadi. He says, I had the honor of seeing Allah in my dream personally three times. And the third time I saw Him in my dream was from today, almost um, 200 years ago. We're now we're in 1440. That was in uh, um, 14, I'm sorry, 1246, Ba'd al-Hijrah. Similarly, Shaykh al-Islam, Allama ibn Taymiyyah, while addressing the issue, he said, أَنَّهُ يُمْكِنُ أَنْ يَرَى الْإِنسَانَ رَبَّهُ فِي الْمَنَامِ That it is possible for a person to see their Lord in their dream. وَلَكِنْ يَكُونُ مَا رَآهُ لَيْسَ هُوَ الْحَقِيقَةِ That what he sees in the dream obviously isn't Allah. He is seeing a manifestation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah deems appropriate. He says, because Allah says, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ That nothing can be like Allah and He is all hearing and He is all seeing. And then Ibn Taymiyyah quotes the narration of Mu'adh ibn Jabal an, an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who narrates from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the Messenger of Allah said that I saw my Lord in my dream and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed his hand between my shoulders and I felt the coolness of it in my, in my chest. And this narration is quoted by many scholars of hadith. Many scholars of hadith have quoted um, this, uh, th- this narration of the Prophet ﷺ saying that I felt the coolness of that touch in my chest. Now what does it mean that Allah touched him with his hand between the shoulders of Allah, of the Messenger of Allah? These are all from mutashabihat. We don't engage in these things. As, as it is appropriate for Allah to do, we don't uh, ascribe body parts to Allah and say Allah has a hand like the hand of human beings. We're not the mujassimah. We don't sit here and uh, uh, associate part, body parts to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the hadith which is narrated by many scholars of hadith, um, is as I presented to you right now. And on this issue, Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali actually 
uh, wrote a book dedicated to this issue of seeing Allah in the dream. And in particular, to this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ seeing Allah and being touched by Allah. He named the book Al-Ikhtiyarul Awla Fi Sharhi Hadithati Ikhtisami Mala'i Al-A'la. And that makes reference to the actual words used in the hadith. There is a riwayah that the scholars have narrated that Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal rahmatullahi alayhi I heard Abdullah bin Ahmad bin Hanbal saying that I heard my father saying that I saw my Lord in my dream. So I said, Oh my Lord, what is the best way, most virtuous way for those who are close to you to gain closeness to you? So فَقَالَ kalami ya Ahmad. Allah responded back by saying, My kalam, O Ahmad. By reading my Quran, that's the most effective way to gain closeness to me. So he said, فَقُلْتُ يَا رَبِّي بِفَهْمٍ أَوْ بِغَيْرِ فَهْمٍ Does that mean to read your, read your kalam, read your word with understanding or without understanding? قَالَ بِفَهْمٍ أَوْ بِغَيْرِ فَهْمٍ Either way, read my kalam and you will come close to me. Now, to be very clear, even though this narration has been quoted by many scholars, there is some weakness in this narration. And scholars have criticized some of the narrators in the chain of this particular um, narration. And heavy criticism. Abu Hassan Ahmad bin Muhammad bin Muqsim, Kadhab al-Ma'roof. They've heavily criticized the chain of this particular incident. Similarly, but there are narrations that are actually more authentic um, and have been narrated through robust chains. For example, what Imam Baghawi rahmatullahi alayhi narrates, he says, Haddathana um, Yusuf, ibn, Yusuf ibn Musa, qala haddathana jadirun an raqaba, qala ra'aytu, he says, raqaba says that I saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in my dream. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that I will surely honor his place in, in the hereafter. Meaning his place referred to Sulaiman al-Taymi. وَهَذَا إِسْنَادٌ قَوِيٌّ The scholars that say the change of this is very authentic. Similarly, there is a riwayah narrated by Abu Naim al-Hilya. سَمِعْتُ Sulaiman ibn Ahmad that I heard Sulaiman ibn Ahmad saying سَمِعْتُ Abdullah ibn Ahmad ibn Hanbal yaqul that I heard Abdullah bin Ahmad bin Hanbal saying, Yaqulu, Samiatu Shurayh bin Yunus, Yaqul, that I heard Shurayh bin Yunus saying, Ra'itu Rabbal Izzati, Rabbul Izzati fil Manam, Fakala liya Shurayh, Sal Hajatak, Fakultu Rahmaka Yusr. That he says that I spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in my dream, and Allah said to me, Ask what you want, O Shurayh. So he said, In response, I said, O oh Allah, I want your mercy. Ya Allah, make it easy. Ya Allah, make it easy. And the isnad of this chain is also authentic. Anyway, Yaqub after seeing this dream, continues on his journey. And he arrives in Harran, and he stays with his uncle Laban. Now, Laban is the brother of Yaqub mother. Yaqub mother, who I told you either her name is Rabka or Rafka. He stayed with her brother Laban in Harran. How long did he stay with him? There are multiple opinions. Some scholars say it was 14 years. Some say it was 16 years. Some have gone as far saying that it was 20 years. He worked for Laban for multiple years as, an, as a part of an agreement that in return, Laban would marry his daughter to Sayyidina Yaqub And Yaqub agreed to this. This was a common tradition that in order to agree on marriage, what they would do is they would tell young people to prove themselves 
by working and proving themselves to the community, to the family, by dedicating their time, their sweat and effort. And we also see this with Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, where, أَلَا أَنْتَ عَجُرَنِي ثَمَانِيَ حِجَجٍ فَإِنْ أَتْمَمْتَ عَشْرًا فَمِنْ عِنْدِكَ وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنْ يُشُقَّ عَلَيْكَ That Musa alayhi salam was contracted by the, his father-in-law to work for him for eight years minimum or ten years. You know, and there would be no compulsion to finish off the ten years. So Yaqub alayhi salam also worked for Laban, worked for Laban in return to marry his daughter. After the term was finished, and the reason why I said 14 years, 16 years, or 10 years, is because half of that term was for the first marriage. And the scholars differ in opinion, how long did he work to marry Laban's first daughter? Was it seven years? Was it eight years? Or was it ten years? Do you guys understand? Was it seven years? Eight years? Or was it ten years? And all all riwayat are there on this issue. After he finished his term, Laban agreed to marry Yaqub to his older daughter, even though Yaqub was interested in marrying the younger daughter. The older daughter, her name was Leah, or in English he would say Leah. That was her name. Yaqub was interested in marrying the younger daughter, however, Laban refused because in their culture it was disliked that the younger daughter be married before the older daughter. That would make it more difficult for the older daughter to get married. So on that basis, Laban refused. Ya- Yaqub went ahead and he got married to her. After marrying her, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them with six children. How many children? Six, six children. And thereafter, Yaqub not after six children, but immediately after marrying the older daughter, he then requested to his father that what can I do to marry your second daughter? And I'll explain this in a moment, hear out the full discussion. So at this point, Laban said that you'll have to serve a second term. And he served another seven years, eight years, or ten years. Whatever the first term was, he did that again, worked again, and then was able to marry the second daughter. And her name was Rahil. Or in English we'd say, Rachel. Her name was Rahil. Now there's a discussion amongst the scholars that when did Yaqub marry Rahil? Because with Rahil, he had two children. The older of the two, his name was Yusuf salam, And the younger of the two, his name was Binyamin. Or in English we say Benjamin. So he married Rahil. So the question is, when did he marry Rahil? One opinion is that he married Rahil after his first wife Leah passed away. So after she passed away, then he married her. According to another opinion, the scholars they say, that he actually married them both in one marriage while they were alive. And this was permitted in their sharia. However, we know very clearly that this is not permitted in our sharia. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَأَن تَجْمَعُوا بَيْنَ الْأُخْتَيَيْنِ إِلَّا مَا قَدْ سَلَفْ That it is not permitted for you to combine two, two sisters into one marriage unless one has passed. Meaning one has exited the marriage, one has passed away. You cannot be married to two sisters at any one given time. This is not permitted in Islam. But it may have been permitted in the earlier religions, therefore Yaqub he did do this. Now Laban, he gifted Yaqub because of his long service with two of his servants, two other female servants. Now in one riwayah it says that he actually gifted them to his daughters who then gifted them to Yaqub And in another riwayah there's a narration that he was gifted them directly. From each of these servants, he was blessed with two children. 
So with one of them, whose name was Zulfa, he was blessed with two children. And for the second one, whose name was Balha, he was blessed with two children. So you have four wives at this point. The first one's name is Leah. How many children there? Six. The second is Rahil. She was blessed with kids right at the end, by the way. She was the last out of all of these women to be blessed with children. So the first is Leah. She was blessed with two children. Then after that, you have one of the servants, Zalfa or Zulfa. Both pronunciations are there. Two children, Balha, two children, that's how many now? Ten. And then at the end, the last children that he received were from his wife Rahil. And the last, last child he had was Binyamin. Binyamin is the only child from all of the children of Yusuf salam that was actually born after Yaqub salam returned back from Haran and arrived in Palestine. Once he came back in Palestine to serve his father and do khidmah of his father, Sayyidina Ishaq salam. At old age, Ishaq salam's eyesight became very weak. So when he did come back to serve him and take care of him, that's when he was blessed with the child, bin Yamin. But since Rahil was very old at this age, that delivery was very difficult. And after the birth of bin Yamin, she passed away. Rahimahullah. Now, there is a big question. Why did Yaqub even end up going to visit his uncle uh, Laban? Why did he spend so many years with him? 20, 30, 40 years. Why was he there for so long? Why was Yaqub with his uncle Laban for so long? So the one answer some scholars give is that most Ahl-Sunnah wal Jama'ah scholars give the simple answer. They say that Ishaq had become old because Allah blessed him with children at a later age. And his mother felt that Ishaq wouldn't be able to give Yaqub the right attentions since he was so old at this point. So she wanted her son to go to Haran, which is a nice big hustle bustle um, city and it had farms and there was a lot of opportunity for, for Yaqub to grow, and particularly under the mentorship of his, of, his, of his uncle. Are you guys understanding this? That's why she sent him. That go, get some life experience, he'll mentor you, he'll look over you, he'll feed you, he'll take care of you, go and spend time with him. Now, there are some Israeli riwayat that have an absolutely alternative narrative. They have a whole different story of what actually happened. These narrations, I've said this many times before, are very problematic. Not all Israeli riwayat are problematic, but there are some of them that are, that are straight out problematic. I remember as a student, the first time I read these Israeli riwayat in Ibn Kathir, and Ibn Kathir narrates them because he's, an histor- because he's a historian, but just because he narrates them doesn't mean that you're supposed to take them as the truth. As a historian, what's a historian's job? Bring all of the content in one place related to a particular time in history. That bring all of it together. And that's what Ibn Kathir does. But unfortunately, even some Muslim historians and scholars and writers when talking about the story of Sayyidina Yaqub they bring these narrations up. It's not a matter of authenticity because these narrations can't be truly authenticated first thing. But the big problem with sharing these narrations, and I've seen scholars sharing these narrations from east to west, some of the most senior scholars to latter-day scholars. These narrations have um, complication, and they're very problematic just in their matan, just in their meaning. Forget about the sanad and everything else. In their meaning, they're problematic. So, the narrative is this. Ishaq was blessed with two children. What were their names? Isu and Israel, or otherwise also known as 
Yaqub alayhi salam. Yaqub alayhi salam was born in a way that he was physically a little weaker. So he became very close to his mother. Esau on the other hand was more of a macho, stronger guy, love hunting. So Ishaq alayhi salam kept him very close. Ishaq alayhi salam loved one and his wife loved the uh, the other son Yaqub alayhi salam. One day Ishaq alayhi salam after becoming very old his eyesight was gone weak, he couldn't see properly. He called his son Isu and said to him that Isu you're such an amazing son. What I need you to do is I want you to go um, hunting today and go and catch some game, some animal and cook the meat and feed it to me. So Ishaq salam's wife when she heard this, she was worried that Ishaq salam might make a special dua that Isu would get and her son Yaqub would be left out. So immediately she went to her son Yaqub and said that your brother is gone to go catch some animal and feed the meat to your father. There is a goat in the back. Go and slaughter it and feed, this, feed the meat to your father. You're a twin. He won't notice. So Yaqub went to the backyard. He cut the animal. Some riwayat are so silly that they say that in order to fool Ishaq his wife, she took the hide of the animal and put it on Yaqub naked hand because he wasn't hairy and Isu was hairy. Is this some kind of three students? So they put the hide on his back. He presents some meat to Ishaq Ishaq had no idea who it was. And after having this beautiful meal, he raised his hand and said, Ya Allah, grant him nubuwa and grant his children nubuwa. And by accident, Allah gave nubuwa to Yaqub Instead of giving nubuwa to who? Isu. Isu comes back from hunting. He finds out what happens and he says to his brother, I will kill you. You stole Nubuwa from me. It was mine, not yours. So out of fear and in hope to save his life, his mother shipped him off to Haram. What kind of nonsense is this? It's so problematic, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start and where to end. As Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, as Muslims, we have a very important belief regarding the Prophets. And I've discussed this right at the beginning of our series. Because this is the premise of how we understand the lives of the Prophets. How we gauge which narrations can be accepted and which narrations cannot be accepted. And that principle is Ismatul Anbiya. What does Ismatul Anbiya mean? The Prophets are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't falsely accuse them of lying, deception, cheating another Prophet, somehow cheating Allah by feeding kebabs to a blind prophet. This is ajeeb. And it doesn't stop here. It continues on and on and on. You know, regarding the story of Yaqub, this narration continues. That when he arrives in Haran, he says to Laban that I want to marry your daughter. Laban agrees that, okay, you can marry my younger daughter, Rahil. He works for seven, eight or ten years. Finally, when they agree, they get married. When he goes into the room to meet his wife, he finds the older sister there. Israeli Diwan. He finds who there? The older sister, he comes to his father-in-law and says, what did you do? His father-in-law says, well, she's your wife now. And, you know, Rahil is too beautiful, you're not going to get her that easy. These are the riwayat. Rahil is too beautiful, you're not going to get her that easy. You're going to have to work double the term for her. And Yaqub hits the fields again and he works a double term to marry a young beautiful girl. And then they say that these two servants, they were actually slaves of Rahil and her sister Leah. And the two sisters didn't like each other. 
Because Leah had six children, therefore Rahil was jealous with her. So in order to stick it to her sister, she had her servant marry Yaqub a.s. Yaqub a.s. had two children with this servant. So this sister got very jealous and she said, marry my servant too. What kind of nonsense is this? Honestly, it's... I, I, I actually feel ashamed even sharing these narrations. But I share them so that we understand what kind of falsehood, unfortunately, people are quoting when they talk about our pure prophets. Yaqub alayhi salam was no small human being. He was a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was a prophet, son of a prophet, son of a prophet. His father was Ishaq alayhi salam and his father was Ibrahim alayhi salam. According to some riwayat, it was Ishaq alayhi, Yaqub alayhi salam, the one who actually built Baytul Maqdis. Such an honorable and great prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this raises a question, is it possible that Isu and Ya'qub had some sort of um, jealousy and some sort of conflict between one another? Is that possible? The answer to that is of course it is. There are many examples in the lives of the prophets that their family members did not embrace them. There are examples of this, that prophets of Allah, their family members did not embrace them. Sometimes their wife didn't embrace them, sometimes their uncles didn't embrace them, sometimes their father didn't embrace them. We have all these examples. We have examples of brothers not embracing them, children not embracing them. So is it possible that Isu did not embrace Yaqub The answer to that is, sure. Because there are riwayat that tell us that Isu then relocated from Al-Maqdis, Bayt Al-Maqdis and went to live with his uncle Ismail Is that possible? Sure it's possible. But to believe that all the other stuff that followed as a result of their disagreement or some, some supposed rivalry, that's where I find the blasphemy and uh, silliness. Ishaq would send his brother um, gifts in order to gain his love and to build that brotherhood again, which was ultimately able to accomplish that goal. And this is what the Ahlul Sunnah write. That in the scenario that we do believe that there was some sort of and misunderstanding between the two brothers. It was an element of jealousy in Isu's heart against Yaqub because he was a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that happens. Okay? In Arabic they say, Ahlul Mu'asara, Ahlul Munafara. That the people of your generations are the ones that will hate you the most. People who view you as equals, your classmates, your siblings. You know, when you're an equal with someone, then they have jealousy towards you because they think that you're competition to them. But once someone's younger than you or once someone's older than you, then there's no longer any more jealousy. The most awkward thing is meeting your high school classmates after like 20 years because even 20 years later, they're still doing what? They're still competing. Where did you get in life? What car do you drive? So in the scenario that we do accept that there was some sort of jealousy that Isu had for Yaqub the Ahlul Sunnah say the answer to this, how, how did Yaqub deal with this? He dealt with this by extending as much as love as he could to his brother. After living with Laban, when he was leaving to come back to visit and stay with his father, when he was leaving Haran, he said to Laban that I've worked for you, with you for so many years, worked for you for so many years, won't you compensate me? So Laban gave him a lot of wealth. And he took those animals that he was gifted and sent them one by one to his brother to win his heart. And therefore the scholars say it was through this kind gesture of his that he was able to win back the heart of his brother. The lesson we learn through this is that um, exchanging gifts is a very powerful gesture. If someone is jealous of you, someone has ill feelings towards you, the best thing you can do is show them love in return. Jealousy in response to jealousy 
is of no use at all. Hatred in response to hatred doesn't fix the problem. If someone is mean or ill towards you, be it a sibling, be it a parent, being a classmate, even a teacher, the best thing to do is show them kindness. And at the beginning, they may not reciprocate. They may not reciprocate and may not show you kindness in return, but just keep doing your thing. We have so many examples of this from the Messenger of Allah where the Prophet won the heart of his neighbors or even the Mushrikun of Mecca simply through continue, continuously showing the people who he was, being kind to them, greeting them, you know, sending gifts over to them, looking after them, helping them, guiding them, advising them. So always be there as a good advisor to people. And some point, at some point, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, teaches us that give gifts to one another and love will increase. Give gifts to one another. And as a result of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you uh, mutual love. Ya'qub later on in his life after returning back to Kanaan um, or Palestine, served his father Ishaq and it was during this period that Ishaq um, he became extremely weak and he passed away at a very old age. Some historians say that he was between 170 or 180 years of age, Ishaq when he passed away. He was buried next to Sayyidina Ibrahim or near Sayyidina Ibrahim Yaqub continued to live in uh, Al-Quds or in this Kanaan area. And when he lived there, it was during this time that his young son Yusuf saw that dream. And we'll talk more about this dream in our next class inshallah. What was his dream that he saw and what were the results of this? One thing Yaqub said to his son after his young Yusuf woke up, and came running to his father and said, Dad, I saw this beautiful dream. And he shared the dream that the sun and the moon and the stars were all prostrating in front of him. When he heard, shared this dream with his father, his father says, لا تقصص رؤياك على إخوتك, That don't share your dream with your brothers because I know a little bit about brotherly jealousy. I know how this pans out. So don't do it. Brothers can be jealous of one another. And unfortunately, Yusuf being a naive young child, in his good heart and goodwill, he shared it. As a result of which his, brother, his brothers plotted against him and caused a separation between Yusuf and Yaqub Yaqub longed for his young son. And he cried and cried and cried over the loss of his child. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, That his eyes went blind. His eyes went white, meaning he went blind out of crying for his child. And he sat for decades making dua for his son. Ya Allah, return him to me. Ya Allah, return him to me. Which child, which parent gives up on their child? Doesn't happen. There are many stories like this that parents lose their children. But those parents never give up hope. They'll go past that road every day where they lost their child. They'll make dua to Allah. Ya Allah, return my child. Ya Allah, bring my child back. Our teacher... Sheikh Diya al-Haq and Sheikh Nur al-Haq, their father, Sheikh al-Islam um, and Sheikh al-Hadith, Mawana Islam al-Haqsab, who taught Hadith in Bukhari at Dar al-Ulum al-Arabiya al-Islamiya, where I studied. He had many sons and he lost one of his sons. One of his sons went missing. Decades had passed by. He kept searching for his son, kept searching for his son. His brother, his son said to me, who was our teacher, he said that one time we were gone to Haram and we were doing Tawaf of the Kaaba and I saw my brother. 
my lost brother. And I went up to him and I talked to him and we shared tears and we hugged each other and we continued doing tawaf and then we were separated and after that we never saw each other again. Sheikh Liyaw al-Haq told us this. So the father never stops looking for his, for his child. He kept making dua, kept making dua. And Yusuf salam's brothers, they said to Yaqub salam that are you just going to continue crying about that son of yours? That's all you're going to do? Keep crying about him? Yusuf salam, as the whole, um, this whole scam of theirs begins to unfold towards the end of the story, Yusuf salam, finds out that his father is old now and he's gone blind out of concern and crying for him. So he said to the people, اِذْهَبُوا بِقَمِيسِ هَذَا but take this garment of mine. فَأَلْقُوهُ عَلَىٰ وَجْهِ أَبِي يَأْتِي بَصِيرًا That go and take this garment of mine and put it on my father's face. And they took that um, garment and they put it on the face of Yaqub And miraculously what happened? His eyesight returned. And thereafter, Yaqub وَأْتُونِي بِأَهْلِكُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ Yusuf said, bring the entire family to me. And Yaqub his wife, his children, they all then migrated from Ardul Muqaddasa or Kanaan, Palestine, um, to Egypt, Misr. He arrived in Misr. And Yaqub lived in Misr for a very long period, you know, until the end of his life. And it was in Misr that he passed away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes reference to the passing away of Yaqub in Surah Baqarah, verse number 133. أَمْ كُنْتُمْ شُهَدَاءَ إِذْ حَضَرَ يَعْقُوبَ الْمَوْتِ And were you present? Were you witnesses when death, when death approached Ya'qub a.s.? إِذْ قَالَ لِبَنِيهِ When he said to his sons, مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِنْ بَعْدِي What will you worship after me? قَالُوا They said, نَعْبُدُ إِلَهَكَ وَإِلَهَ آبَائِكَ We will worship your God. In the God of your fathers, Ibrahim wa Ismaila wa Ishaq ilahum wahida, the God of Ibrahim salam, Ismail salam, Ishaq salam, ilahum wahida, one Allah, one God. Muslimun, and we are Muslims, meaning in submission to Him. When Yaqub salam passed away, he instructed his son Yusuf salam that bury me next to my father. In Kanaan, in, in, in Bayt al Maqdis, Ard al Muqaddasa. Yusuf salam then sent his body back and did as his father requested. And Yaqub salam was returned back to the land that he was born in, buried next to his father. So if you study the life of Yaqub salam geographically in his journeys, you see that his journey started in Al Ard al Muqaddasa, what we consider to be Palestine or Jerusalem. Then from there he goes up north to Sham to a place called Harran. What's it called? Then from there he returns back to Al Ard al Muqaddasa to live with Ishaq. Then from there he then moves to visit his son Yusuf. Where is he going now? Down south to Egypt. He passes away in Egypt and bequests that after I die, return me back. And after he dies, they bring him back in the full circle back to his place of birth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed this family. Allah blessed his children. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent many anbiya to the children of Israel, Yaqub alayhi salam, from Banu Israel. There are some riwayat that say there were 600 anbiya that came from Banu Israel. 
Some riwayat and some narrations mention there were 700 anbiya that came from Bani Israel. And a narration of Hakim narrated by Imam, uh, narrated by Imam Hakim in his Mustadrak, also narrated by Imam Bayhaqi rahmatullahi alayhi in his Shu'ab al-Iman, also narrated by um, Imam Tabrani rahmatullahi alayhi, Imam Haythami rahmatullahi alayhi narrated in his uh, uh, Az-Zawaid and says that the narrators of this, of this narration are authentic. The hadith is from Ibn Abbas in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, all of the prophets that were sent were from Banu Israel except for 10. Now this, there's, there's a lot of commentary on that around this riwayah because that means that to the rest of the world there were only 10 prophets sent, which is um, somewhat questionable and problematic. Because what about the, riwayah, the ayah of the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there is not a nation, but to them we send, وَلِكُلِّ قَوْمٍ had, And to every nation there is a guide sent. So what about the Americas? What about the Indias? What about the Africas? What about the Chinas and the, and the Asias? What about the prophets there? So there's a lot of kalam around this riwayah. But I quote this narration uh, to prove and establish that there were a lot of prophets sent to Banu Israel. There were many, many prophets sent to Banu Israel as an honor to the children of Yaqub alayhi salam. As for his brother Isu, he is referred to by Ibn Kathir as Walidur Rum meaning the father of the, the father of the Romans. This is a family that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed. And in, in Yaqub alayhi salam's um, story, we learn sacrifice, we learn patience, we learn perseverance, we see his farsightedness, we see his knowledge, and how he was a Nabi sent to his people, his community he worked on, the khidmah he did for his parents, how he dealt with the rivalry of his sibling, how he remained patient and did not give in to temptation. There are so many lessons for us to learn from Sayyidina Ya'qub alayhi salam. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the ability to learn these lessons, uh, understand these lessons, practice upon this example, and implement the beautiful teachings that we find in the Qur'an uh, attached to the story of Sayyidina Ya'qub alayhi salam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us all. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته